Amen. Have a seat. Morning, everybody. Thank you. That was a hearty welcome. Uh, my name is Dave Burden. Uh, I am one of the pastors here uh, at Midtown. And um, I said this in the first service after uh, it was hard to follow the testimony of God's faithfulness and grace uh, in difficulty that we just heard. So whatever I'm about to say, if it's not going well for you, just come back to that moment. Um, <laughs> But I really do think what the Lord has for me to say this morning and the text that we're in, actually, this is a really beautiful window. I didn't know that they were doing that this morning as a guest preacher. Um, but it's a beautiful story of what it looks like to, on both sides, surrender your will to the Lord and your way to the Lord and to, to kind of walk by faith and trusting that this is the plan that you have and watch that unfold. And that's a lot of what we're gonna be talking about this morning. So. My wife and I, uh, we, have, we have four children. Uh, we have three boys and a little girl. They're 16, 14, and 10. Those are the boys. And then we have this five-year-old little girl named Lane. Uh, she is fierce. Um, and I remember like, when I explained to people that we have four children and they're that spread apart, there's often a look on their face like, wow, that's great. Uh, like, y'all are crazy. Um, but I remember talking with one woman one time and she said this after I told him about the three boys and the little girl, she said in a very sweet way, she goes, you finally got that little girl. <laughs> and I kind of looked at her and I was like, well, yeah, that's, that is true. We do have a little girl, but you know, like we have no control <laughs> over that, right? It's just, it happens. It's either a boy <laughs> or a girl. It's not like when I take my son forward to an arcade and he wants to just keep feeding the claw machine until we get the, we weren't gonna do that, right? We were, we were done, <laughs> done with four. Uh, and you know, didn't even know, could we have a fourth? So here's Lane. The second thing the woman said right after saying that, you finally got your little girl. She goes, and I bet she's got you wrapped around her finger. And I thought, you know, have you been talking to my daughter? <laughs> because both of you believe the same thing about my daughter. <laughs> that somehow as her father, I am like utterly powerless uh, to do anything other than what Lane wants and ultimately what? She's, she's running the show. Her will is what goes. And I don't know, uh, if, you, if you have children, you, you know this experience. Uh, if you were a child, your parents know it, <laughs> right? There's nothing I experience more than this on a daily basis with my children, and that's this, the battle of the will. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, mm. <laughs> That's a Presbyterian amen, right? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, right, yeah. The contest, the daily contest. I mean, the Olympics come once every four years. The Olympics of the battle of the wills is a daily event, right? Between parents and what kids want. Uh, the amount of time my wife and I spend in the courtroom of negotiation, right? <laughs> the billable hours, <laughs> right? Banking in heaven. Between us and them, litigating literally litigating decisions and opportunities, right? It's endless. 
And they come out like already through law school, <laughs> right? Little junior lawyers in the firm of the Burden household, right? But they don't just, they don't lawyer up, right? They're judge too. And they actually believe when they come in for our little, you know, courtroom scenario that we're on equal footing. We're on equal footing in this conversation, right? So what's that have to do with the Lord's Prayer that we prayed earlier? Well, we've been in this series, right, in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and in Luke 11, they actually ask him, will you do this for us? Will you teach us how to pray? We don't know how to do it. And so the assumption there is from the disciples, and it's, it should be from us, that we need to be taught, actually need to be taught how to pray. And I don't necessarily naturally know how to do this in the right way, right? And Jesus is modeling in this moment, and he's instructing them in this moment, this is how I'm, I'm telling you, you want me to teach you how to pray? This is how you come to the Lord in prayer. This is the posture, you could say it that way, that you come to the Lord in prayer but it's, it's more than that, and I hope we'll see that by the time I'm done. It's, it's not just the posture that we come to the Lord in prayer, but it's how the Lord comes to us through prayer. It's actually the process that when I come in this posture, the process that the Lord works in us through prayer. So I don't know the amount of growing up in, all, you know, all of us probably grew up in a lot of different, obviously homes, we're not all in one family. <laughs> But uh, denominations, you know, string, streams of thought, maybe you were taught that prayer, you know, is this kind of let me get myself all cleaned up and posture myself rightly and then I can come to the Lord and actually then I kind of manipulate God's mind on a matter. I think what we learn in the Lord's Prayer and other places too in Scripture, the prayer is actually where we come to the Lord to have, instead of us manipulating Him, it's where we come to the Lord and His work in our lives is to have our hearts and our minds and our wills actually conformed more to his. Prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes me, is a way to say it. Prayer is the place where the Lord shapes me. He moves me, he molds me more into his likeness and in his ways. So that's the beginning of the prayer, right? Let's, I'm gonna reread the prayer, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, and we're gonna kind of Step through this till we get to thy will be done. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's how you, I want you to pray. You first off is this, you come to him as a father, all right? Our father. Now, Randy preached or Gary preached, again, I don't know who preached on our father, but uh, let me just say this in one sentence. If you had a good father, and hopefully you did, he's far better than him far better than the best father. And if you had a bad one, uh, he's nothing like him. He's your Abba, right, your daddy, who is near, who is approachable, who's safe, who loves you, who's affectionate. But just think about the place we enter that prayer, our father, right, that means something, right? If he's dad, what are we? Children, right. It's easy to miss, but he's saying, okay, you wanna learn how to pray, start here. He's father, that means I'm child. Now, what's funny is I expect when I'm in the courtroom with my kids that they understand something. We're not on equal footing, right? I get it, you're talking to me like an adult and that makes me angry. 
right? I want to put a sock in your mouth, but uh, it's weird to me that I think when I look at my children litigating with me, you should understand something. We're not on equal footing because you're kids and I'm, you're in my kingdom, baby, <laughs> right? Why then do I struggle when I come to the Lord, if I start as father, why then do I struggle to apply that same principle that I so easily apply to my children to myself? I don't know, we're not, Lord, we're not in here uh, as father-child, we're in here as equals, right? And I'm litigating with you. That seem hypocritical? Yeah, because I'm a hypocrite. Right? That's what sin does to me. It makes me uh, live a, do a double life, right? Where I hold you to standards that I don't even hold myself to. So you come to him as father, right? And then what? Where's he at? He's in heaven. That's okay. That's up, right? Like a father's above a kid, heaven's up. We're down here on earth. Who's in heaven? So he's my authority. He's above all. He's the creator of the universe, right? He's Lord over all. Hallowed be thy name. So heaven and hallowed, the, the twin H's, right? Hallowed meaning holy. He's other. He's set apart. He's not like us, right? So father, heaven, hallowed, right? So you get the sense of like he's approachable as a dad, but man, he's above. He's above us. Thy kingdom come. All right, here we go. He's a king, I guess. If he's a king, then he's got to have a kingdom. You can't be a king of nowhere, right? So he's a king of a kingdom. So for the reader of the day, they would have understood something about a king, right? It's tougher for us to understand, but that means this. He's not here to do my bidding. He's not some kind of cosmic wish maker, some genie that I just, if I can kind of talk to right, he'll do what I want. It's vice versa. If he's king, that means I'm not king, I'm a servant, right, in his kingdom. And therefore, my role now as a servant or as a subject within his kingdom is as I'm an ambassador. I'm subservient to his kingdom and his ways. So do you see it? Father, heaven, hallowed, king, kingdom. It's this prayer of descending. I'm taking you down a notch, right? You're higher, I'm lower. He must become greater, I must become less. What we're doing in this prayer is we're bringing ourselves under, because he is a good father, under his affection and his authority. Descend, descend, descend. And here we get to the statement, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The actual literal Greek says it like this, if you read it in the original language, let it come, thy kingdom. Let it be done, thy will. You hear it? Just a surrender. Let it come. Let it come, bring it, bring it. Let it be done, let it be done, thy will. It's a raising of the white flag. It's saying, I give up. You're in charge. I don't run the show. So three things... I hope I'll get to the third. Some of you know I struggle to get to everything. <laughs> Three things I'd love for us to consider in this part, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three things. I touched on the first a little bit. The war of the will. And I got a lot more to say about that. So hang on. Uh, the way of surrender, which is prayer, 
the war of the will, the way of surrender, and then lastly, this, this idea of he is with us and he wants to do something through us, which is his bring heaven to earth, and, and at least in a foretaste, okay? The war of the will, the way of surrender, with us, through us. I just couldn't figure out a better way to say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not really catchy, but uh, anyways, here we go. The war of the will. So I open with this. Talking about the battle of the will that I see daily playing itself out in my home, I see it playing out in my family, but I see it playing out in myself, especially in the summer. If your children just got out of school, you're going crazy right now, right? I watch parental anxiety just, right? Bubble up. Because all these four little kids, and they're not little, one of them drives now. Uh, they all have different wills about what they want to be doing every single day. Uh, my third son in particular, he's an, ex, uh, an external sort of guy. Uh, he, he's an extrovert. He fuels on human contact. And his little, his little flame of extrovertedness, if it does not get tended to pretty much daily, it begins to kind of, you know, smolder, right? <laughs> he needs people all the time. And so we're constantly, you know, trying to figure out how do we prioritize what everybody <laughs> needs in this house all the while. Like I got a life too, right? You know, that's part of the struggle as a parent. And it's not always good, right? How am I going to get to do my life? Right? Because I got to, all of a sudden I got to attend to you guys in a different way. But all of that conflict that happens in my home all the time, in me, I'm a, I'm a creator of it. They're creators of it. They create a little more than I do, but it's all bound up in will, right? They have a will. My kids have wills. I have a will. My wife has a will. And scripture says something about the will. It's this, it flows out of our heart. If you don't know that, you're about to learn it. That your will, what you want to have happen, that comes from someplace, it comes out of your heart. And that ultimately, when we're talking about the battle of the will, we're talking about a heart issue, right? A heart issue. And I think we know this naturally. We'll get the scripture here in a second. But when we say something like this, they willed it to happen, you know? Man, I, they just, they willed that situation to happen. What we're, I think we, we oftentimes think of the will as a mind thing, like they were determined. But underneath that determination, right, you know, Michael Jordan or Kobe or whoever who wins all the championships, there's this desire underneath the determination, isn't there? There's always this mindset that flows out of desire. Actually, the word for thy will be done, that word will is translated plenty of other places in scripture as desire, thy desires be done, right? So our hearts are set on something to occur, I have a passion, I have a drive, I have a will. And we know this naturally. You know, when I was first interested in my wife, Emily, uh, <laughs> I had a will to see my wife, all right? And it would go to great lengths in order to be in her presence. So when we were, uh, she was skiing in, in Colorado with her family over the holidays, I was with a friend in Colorado, and we happened to find out that one another is in the state of Colorado, right? And we were on the phone, I said, oh my goodness, you're in Colorado, seriously? <laughs> if you've been to Colorado, Colorado's big, right? It's a big state. 
I was in Crested Butte. She was in Breckenridge, which if you have a helicopter, takes about 10 minutes. Or if you're an alpine climber, you could do over the course of a week. But if you're driving, it's about a six-hour drive, right? It's about 20 miles apart, but you got to go around the mountains, right? You're in Colorado? <laughs> Me too. You know, it's like saying, uh, we're in, uh, you're in Europe, I'm in Austria, and you're in Spain. Like, let's hang out. But I did it. I was at Crested Butte. I met somebody who lived in Colorado Springs while skiing that day. I hitchhiked with that person to Colorado Springs. I spent the night in that person's home who I met that day. I know, kids. Y'all talk to you, don't do this, right? Okay. I hitchhiked. I spent the night. That person generously got up very early in the morning and drove into the airport at Colorado Springs where I rented the cheapest car I could rent because I was poor. And I drove all the way to Breckenridge, you know, like 5.30 a.m. Just like, I'm coming for you, baby. <laughs> right? I drive all the way there, you know, 8 a.m. I'm like standing there like, hey, I'm here. Let's go skiing for the day. We skied all day together. I drove back to get the rental car back in time. I got like an exorbitant speeding ticket that took me a year to get out of, right? <laughs> Hardly slept at all before my friends picked me back up in the springs and we went home. Why? Love. <laughs> Love. It was not a, oh man, I really think I should do this. I was in love, right? Where there's a will, where there's a desire, where the heart is, there's a way, there's a will to get there. The will is ultimately a heart issue and where the heart is set. Scripture, not just my story about Colorado, says the same thing. It always connects the will and the heart. Paul's talking about this in Acts 13 or 22 where he's reflecting about Israel's history and his choice of David as king over Saul. He says this, after removing Saul, that's God, so his will, I removed Saul, he did what? He made David king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man what? After my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. A man after the heart will do everything I want to do. It's basically saying this, the one who I have their heart, I have their will. Jesus says a similar thing in John 14, where he says this, where he's talking about the Holy Spirit, which is our new heart, right? The new spirit that we get. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, right? Which belief, faith, that's a gift. It's something God has to do. It's not something we muster up. Whoever has faith or believes in me, what? Will do the works I've been doing. The will follows the heart. If you love me, he goes on in verse 15 to say this, you will keep my commands. If you love me, if I have your heart, you will follow in my way. What both of these are saying is that, this, what? There's a direct connection between our love, between our hearts, between our relationship with Jesus that has a transformative effect on our wills and on our actions. I'm coming after your heart. I'm not coming after your, your duty. I'm coming after your heart. Your duty, your will will follow. God knows this, that the will follows the heart because that's true for him. His will follows you know, his heart. His will follows his heart for us. So much so 
that he goes on to talk about in that passage in John about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm actually gonna have to do something even more significant than teach you how to pray. I'm gonna have to give you a new heart. I'm gonna have to give you, uh, literally, you can think of the Holy Spirit as a heart house guest, like a permanent house guest, right? A heart transplant probably is a better way to say it. Because God knows that it's essential that if our will is gonna be surrendered and conformed to his, something supernatural is gonna have to happen. And why is this? Because apart from God's work via the Holy Spirit, my will is not naturally bent to serve anything other than myself and what's best for me as I define it. Apart from God's work via the Holy Spirit, my will, Dave Burden's will, is not naturally, by its nature, bent to serve anything other than myself and what's best for me. My will is not free. We, we talk about it like that, right? Free will. Scripture says you don't have free will. Your will, you were born into sin. Your will is in bondage to sin and to self until Jesus comes and does something about it. And until he does something about it, all I'm gonna be about is glorifying me, doing my will. You see, before God comes in and does his work through Jesus, there is no battle of will prior to Jesus because the battle's already won. I pick me every time. You see it? There is no battle until Jesus comes in and fights the battle I couldn't fight for myself. There's no battle. The battle's already won. It's me, I pick me. Randy says it all the time. I say it too. Me loves me some. Me, yeah. Me loves me some me. Even when I'm about you or I appear to be about you, a lot of times that's still got me underneath it. I was talking with a friend this week. I learned a term image washing. You guys know what that means? Yeah, me either. We're all learning a lot together this week. Uh, image washing is when a corrupt company or country or individual um, comes in and does something publicly good in order to appear better than they are in order to conceal the bad. It's called image washing. It's pretty cool because I do it all the time. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. I'm an image washer. Jesus is not saying, hey, I'm, I'm kind of coming in here to just wash your image here, get you on track. You, you don't need image washing, you need baptism. Like death and resurrection into a new identity, into a new life, into a new self. I, I don't need just a washing, I need a thorough rebirth. Because if it doesn't happen, even all of my good efforts underneath all that really is about me. My will be done on earth, right? While Jesus gets heaven ready for me, but hey, don't hurry up because I got some good stuff going down here. There's a battle for the will. Even when you think about it from this, this perspective, when I wrestle with this question, this is a question I get a lot. I've asked it a lot. I've spent a lot of time in it myself. I wish I knew God's will for my life. How many times have you prayed that, thought that, wondered that, right? As I've explored that question with people or I've seen how I've camped out in it in my own heart, it's interesting that almost all of the ways that I think about that question and I've kind of wrestled with that question, the presupposition is, is it's always about my gain when I ask the question about God's will for my life. 
is it's, of course God wants what I think is best for me or what culture thinks is valuable. Of course, right? Even though Romans 12 would tell us, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve and understand what God's pleasing perfect will is, right? So his will is not conforming with the pattern of this world. It's being transformed by the renewing of the mind. So, but I've often approached God's will from that. Of course God wants what I think is best. God's will, this is how I thought about it. God's will is always between two good options, right? It's just about discerning which is the best of the two. Rarely do I approach, which these women powerfully demonstrated for us this morning, that God's will might have me going through something that is difficult, that might require me to lose something that I was afraid to lose or go without something that I can't imagine going without or truly putting others ahead of myself, not as some image washing virtue signaling, but virtually suffering for the good of another person. That couldn't be God's will, could it? Why not? That's who your King Jesus is. Why would he will something different for you that he didn't infinitely more embrace for himself? At least he took his own medicine is a way to think about it. Because he is that type of king who came from heaven, he says, what? Not to be served, but to serve. That's the kind of king I am. I came to give my life away, not to make it all about me. He's the king of Philippians 2 who didn't use his position for self-promotion or to his own advantage. But what does it say? He emptied himself and took on the very nature of a servant, a foot washer. That's the father that you come to in prayer. That's the king whose kingdom you live in if you're a Christian. That's the holy, hallowed Jesus. And he's fighting for your will. So let me just encourage you um, in this war of the wills. If you feel a battle between your will and the Lord's will, it doesn't mean something's wrong. It's the exact opposite. It means something is profoundly right and something good is happening. Because Paul in Romans 7 talks about this. So if, if the apostle Paul can struggle with this, and we'll get here in a second, Jesus himself struggles with it, right? Even the good that I want to do, yes, Lord, I want to do, but I've got this battle going on and sin and evil. The enemy is right there with me, inviting me back to putting myself at the center. If Paul can struggle with that, we're in good company. So if you feel the battle, it doesn't mean something's wrong. It means something's right. Something spiritually is happening in your lives. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be so self-like, like, oh, why do I want to do what God wants me to do? Because you're human because you're broken, because you still struggle with sin, because you're not freed completely from the flesh. You're in the battle, you're in the fight, yes. Here's where you should be freaked out if there is no battle. If you live every single day assuming that your will and God's will are automatically aligned, you should be afraid. You might wanna ask, do I even know the Lord? If I just assume that. He wouldn't ask us to pray for this if it weren't that way. (laughs) 
That's why he says pray, because you're not automatically lined up. You can, Galatians 5 says, you can have the spirit, but not be in step with the spirit. That's why you need to pray. So if you're not wrestling with God's will and having to go through that grind of surrendering to his will daily, taking up that cross daily, battling against our flesh and our sin nature, uh, if, if wrestling with God's will doesn't cost you anything, I just, I, it's hard to say it this way, but you, you may actually be coming not to your father who's in heaven, who's a king of a kingdom. You may be coming to a God of your own imagination. So if the battle's on, good. It means something's happening. If the battle's not on, wake up. Because this prayer acknowledges something. And it may be so obvious it'd be easy to miss. God has a will. If he says, pray that thy will be done, that means he's got a will. It means he didn't set the world in motion and then say, hmm, let's see how that goes. Right? I hope they do good. God has a will, and just like Randy preached last week, that he has a kingdom, and he has a kingdom that is coming, and it will come regardless of anything we do. Right? I can either participate, I can get on the train, woo-hoo, right? or resist or ignore it, but it's coming. His kingdom is coming. That's true about his will too. His will will be done. One way or the other, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you, I'm going to bring that work to a completion. You can resist it, but we ain't on equal footing here. You're my kid. My will will be done. And I can either come in line with that or I can kick against it, but it's gonna be done because I'm a king. You see, the reader of the day would have been more familiar with this king and will experience. They didn't live in a representative democracy like we do where we elect our leaders to carry our, our values and promote our ideas and our rights, which usually have everything to do with just what individual expression, individual betterment. The reader of the day would have heard king, kingdom, and thy will be done no king woke up in that day and age and goes, hmm, I wonder if my will's gonna be done today. I hope my servants do what I've commanded. No, no king grinded like that. Why? Because he was king. He understood, I have authority. This is my kingdom. And if those readers of that day were not confused by that, if that was what was true for earthly bad kings, how much more for the king of kings and lord of lords, for you and for me? We're in a battle, and this war of wills, it's as old as the garden, where Satan introduced that lie, and Adam and Eve bit on it, and we've lived with it ever since. And that's this, that God, he's not a good king. And in fact, you don't need him to be king, you can be king. You, you can be on equal footing with him. And your will, that would be better than his will. Tom Petty summed it up in his song. Tom Petty, Petty fans, yeah. It's good to be king, right? It's good to be king. You guys remember the, the, the lyrics to the song? You guys want me to sing it? Yeah, I know, I know you do. No, 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 you don't. Okay, anyways. Uh, yeah, here we go. So he says this. <laughs> Am I really gonna sing this? <laughs> LaCroix. <laughs> it's good to be king just for a while. Mm, 
To be there in velvet, yeah, to give them a smile. It's good to get high and never come down. It's good to be king of your own little town. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, the world would swing. Yeah, if I were king, can I help it if I still dream time to time? What's he saying? The world would swing if I was king. It's good to be king. No, it's not. That's what the Bible says to you and to me. No, it's not. You were never designed to be king. You were never built to be on the throne of your hearts or of anyone's. It's not good to be king. So how do we stop? How do we get out of the battle? Mm, man, I gotta keep going. How do we stop the war? Well, you don't. Um, here's how, how it stops. You get defeated. You get defeated every day. You, you wake up and you die every day. That's the only way, that's, that's point two, the way of surrender. If there's the battle of the will, here's the way of surrender. That's why Jesus is teaching to pray because prayer is asking God to do something supernatural that you can't do for yourself. It's basically saying this, I can't get off the throne of my life. I can't, I try, and guess what? I wake up the next day and it's like, oh, well, this looks comfortable. Maybe I'll be in charge of my life today, right? Every single day. And so prayer is literally, it's like, um, it's like the bunker buster super missile that gets to the place of Dave Burden's die, my will be done campaign, and he blows it up. Prayer is literally like, I'm unlocking the door and I'm going, come on in, I know. I'm on the throne again, knock me off. Knock me off, I need it, please. I can't do it, I can't stop. Set me free from the power of me. It's the only way it's gonna happen because I can't do it by myself. It's not by my might, it's not by my effort. That's why Jesus is teaching them to pray it. Pray it, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because he understands something as fully God and fully man. He who is tempted in every way and yet was without sin is what scripture says. Fully God and fully human. He knows that the only way we as human beings who are living in a fallen world that's fraught with all kinds of temptation and the human tendency because of sin to be on the throne of our lives, the only way that I'm not gonna be at the center of everything is for someone more powerful than me to come and knock me off that throne. And that's what prayer is. That's what this prayer is. Come knock me off the throne. Prayer is the conduit of that change. It's, it's the white flag of surrender. And here's what's so powerful about this. Jesus himself, he doesn't just tell us how to pray. He showed us this in Gethsemane. It's one of the only places you see it modeled quite this like closely. When he's headed to the cross, he's got all his buds with him, right? And they're all like dying off and sleeping and everything, right? And he's going, he knows, I'm going to the cross. And he's at Gethsemane, he's literally sweating blood and in tears, right? Because he's not confused. I mean, we don't know all the will of the Father, ultimately, day by day. He knows where he's going, right? And willingly going there. So we go by faith, not knowing where the Lord's leading us. He's going, knowing exactly where he's going, which is separation from the Father. Something you and I never have to experience because of what he did in this moment. 
And here's what he prays. This is so powerfully, beautifully human. We don't get this part of Jesus, but I kind of think of Jesus as like, you know, he's kind of on robo, you know, just on cruise control, like doing your will, doing your will, doing your will, you know? You know, just, you know, super, you know? And he was, but what does he pray? He expresses three times, I don't want to do this. Take, it, take the cup of your wrath from me. I cannot handle this. I cannot handle what's ahead of me, and I know what's ahead of me. And then he finishes his prayer with what? But not my will, but yours be done. So there's a lot of freedom here. Bring it. Bring it all to the Lord. Tell him exactly what you want, how you want it, what you don't want. Jesus himself did it. So you can throw it all at him. Just don't end your prayer there. Because he himself headed to the cross and said, okay, this is what I want, but I'm bringing Father. I'm bringing my will under your will. It's not my will, but yours be done. Prayer unlocks that door because Jesus understands something about us and it's this. My Jesus knows what sin has done to me. I'm not sure we do, often days. My Jesus knows what sin has done to me, what it's done to this world. Not the sins I do, but what it's done. The state that I'm in, right? Sin has put me on the throne of my life and that is not the place I'm supposed to live. I was never designed to live there, to be king of my life. I'm like a little kid sitting on phone books with wood blocks strapped to my feet and a cane on the gas pedal driving through this world. That's about how good of a king you and I are at being kings of our lives. So there's the battle of the will. This prayer is the way of surrender that Jesus himself prayed. Lastly, with us, through us. I just don't like that, the way I'm saying that, but here's, here's the point. He doesn't just show us how to pray. He doesn't just model us prayer. He basically says this, I can, I can tell you how to do it. I can show you how to do it. I can be the, the example, but ultimately you're not gonna do my will unless I do something else for you. And that's this, God's will, if you're in Christ, God's already done something for you. He's, he's done something, his will for you is this, is to give you a new heart and a new spirit in order that you could follow him, right? So, um, have you ever, uh, you ever known anybody who's gotten a heart transplant? Anybody? Nobody. Yes? Raise your hands. Yeah. Have you ever known anybody who's given up their heart? No, because they're dead, right? That's the point. That's the gospel, right? For you to have the new heart that actually then could pray and want God's will, I've got to give you my heart. Literally. I've got to give it to you. I've got to die, give it to you. Now, granted, Jesus is raised to newness of life, which is what gives our hearts life, right? He's alive. We'll sing that here in a second. God's will was to give us a new heart. And Ezekiel 36 prophesied this years, decades, generations before Jesus. And he basically says this to Israel. You guys, literally, um, you have made my name look horrible in the world because of how you've lived. You've profaned my name among the nations. And so in order to vindicate my name, which has been profaned by you amongst the world, you were supposed to be my representatives, showing the world who I am. And you've showed the world that you're just like the rest of the world. I'm gonna do something for you. 
in that state of rebellion, not because you were good, right? Because you did what I asked. I'm going to do it for you. That's not the kind of father he is. It's not the kind of king he is. Even when you are literally bent on rebellion, this is what I'm going to do. I will take you from the nations and I'm going to gather you from all the countries. I'm going to bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. That ain't image washing. That's rebirth. You will be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, here it is, I give you a new heart, a new spirit to be careful to obey all my rules. I'm gonna give you the capacity even to obey my will. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you will be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all of your uncleanness. I, 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 I do it all. I'm doing it all and I'm doing it for you. Why? Because my will follows my heart and my heart is for you. Even in all your slant-eyed rebellion, right? That's what I'm gonna do for you. So Jesus, part of his death and his resurrection was so that, this is all about you know, John 14 to 17, he basically says, I'm gonna gotta go do this so that you can have this new heart and this new spirit. But when he gives us the new heart and the spirit, he prays this in John 17, don't take them out of the world. Don't give them a new heart and new spirit so they can just be this holy little huddle with one another. I've given you a new heart and a new spirit. Why? So I can send them out into the world literally as little ambassadors of my kingdom who do my will. He says this in John 17, 21. I'm praying that they all may be one, so unity, not individualism, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you so that they may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me, that people may know who God the Father in heaven is, who Jesus is through us. One of the primary ways that happens, one of the most dynamic ways I've seen it happen, we saw it happen this morning. Remember the testimony. This is what it looks like when someone says, okay, I'm surrendering my will to the Lord. That's a supernatural act. The Holy Spirit's the only one who allows us to do that. We don't do it naturally. And doesn't it reek of Jesus? Gosh, you're just like, oh my goodness. That's so otherly. That's not human, that's divine. That's the life of heaven coming to earth. Because in heaven, we are not the center of things. Jesus is. And in heaven, God's will literally flows like an uninterrupted stream, not clogged with all our sin and all of our resistance. So when you and I pray this prayer, whether we know it or not, we're unlocking that door and we're saying, come in and dethrone me. I need it literally knock me off the throne. And I'm gonna climb back up on it tomorrow and I need you to knock me off again because I know that's what's best for me. I know that's what's best for the world is for you to be in that place, not me. Because that's even what our Jesus did. He says in John 6, I have not come down from heaven to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. He's never asked us to do anything that he has not done infinitely more. So church, would we not be a bunch of individuals in a family who are bickering for our wills, like my kids and me, 
right? But would we be this embassy of heaven, this outpost of the real world brought into this earth? You know, like an embassy, if we have a US embassy, all the US laws apply, even if it's in France or wherever, right? Same thing. We're an embassy of heaven where the will and the way of God the Father, that's the economics. That's the law of this place, not the law of this world. We pray for us. Lord, man, I am ornery, and I fight you on this so often. Thank you that you're a patient father. You're far better dad than I am. And um, you gently and uh, firmly are committed to continuing to remove me from the throne of my life uh, so that um, I could follow you more. Uh, pray you do that for our community. Uh, Lord, uh, just ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would loosen this death grip that we have on our lives and realize that we're not free at all. We're enslaved. We're enslaved to ourselves. Would you set us free, Lord, uh, that we might be a people who uh, the world knows are different uh, because uh, you've done something for us that we can never do for ourselves. We love you. In your name, amen.